0: Hello, and welcome back to the Film Brain podcast. And on this episode, I think you can probably guess what this is about. It's about Zack Snyder's Justice League. And I promise you this discussion won't be four hours long. (laughs) Don't tempt me. But while plenty of people have managed to endure the quite long running time, I've brought three other people with me in my own little Justice League, if you will. Would you like to introduce yourselves? Hello, everyone. I'm Oliver Harper. I'm Jonathan Burdett. And I'm Lasse Vogt. How's it going? It's going great. It's going a little bit better because now I've seen both versions of Justice League and that's six hours down of my time. <laughs> <laughs> it's done. Yeah, It's over with. Right, so I guess, as usual for the podcast, I should do a plot synopsis, but it almost feels kind of redundant here because if you've seen the previous cut of Justice League, it's the exact same plot in that following the events of Batman v Superman, Superman has died and now Bruce Wayne, played by Ben Affleck, has to band together the members of the Justice League, including Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman, Jason Momoa's Aquaman, Ezra Miller's Flash, and Ray Fisher's Cyborg, to face the threat of Steppenwolf, who is desperate to reclaim the Mother Boxes to potentially take over the world and bring about Darkseid so uh this is the awkward bit I don't think I would normally have to say this especially given that a lot people who listen to my podcast already know my work but obviously this is not meant to be an attack on Zack Snyder in any way obviously the circumstances of Justice League's production are tied to the tragedy that Zack endured I want to make clear that when we talk about this film it's professional it's not personal honestly on a personal level I can't imagine what Zack has gone through, to be honest. If you've ever experienced that for yourself, you know how much it hurts, and if you haven't, you can't possibly imagine it. I know that I have been outspoken about Zack's work in the past, but that's his work. As a person, I have no problem with him whatsoever. This is purely about discussing the merits of his work. I feel like that's already clear, but just to make absolutely positively clear I'm putting that up front. So obviously as we know Justice League had a very tempestuous production to say the least not least of which because of the fact that Batman v Superman underperformed at the box office which gave Warner Brothers a lot of cold feet as they started the shoot of Justice League just two weeks after that film came out and certainly even building up to Snyder's departure there was definitely rumours that there was interference beforehand and then of course course, once Snyder left the project, in those circumstances, Joss Whedon took over to ostensibly complete the movie. But then it turns out that Whedon's contributions were far more substantial than that. The release version of the film got, at best, mixed responses and still underperformed at the box office. But since its release, there has been a considerable amount of fan interest in the Snyder cut. And I think that the fans kind of got a bit carried away with this, to say the least. <laughs> I I think the disappointment with the film manifested in this weird, well the Snyder version is this some kind of holy grail that turns it into a perfect movie and there was lots of us going, well if there is a Snyder cut and there probably was, it wasn't in any releasable state and certainly that was the case for a long time up until HBO Max essentially contacted Snyder and gave him the 70 million to complete his cut. Apparently when they were first offered it to Snyder they literally just said, hey do you want to release the rough cut? <laughs> I can't imagine what that would be like. That would be four hours of green screen. <laughs> <laughs> So Snyder's finally completed it. Again, talking about the sort of fan response, I know that there was a lot of positive elements of the community that wanted the Snyder cut. Certainly there was a lot of people that were interested in it just as a matter of seeing what Snyder's original vision was or just an interest in alternate cuts. I wasn't the biggest fan of Batman v Superman, but I was interested to see what Snyder's original take on it was. And I remember Oliver at the time when Justice League came out, we were actually discussing mm. this. We were discussing the possibility of whether there would actually be a Snyder cut because obviously very similar situation to Superman 2 and that took 25 years to come to fruition whereas this is only four.
1: Yeah yeah that's very true Matthew. It's funny though looking back because we were sort of discussing just before recording the sort of Richard Donner version of Superman 2 and that was a very much a sort of polite way of sort of Mm. persuading Warner Brothers to release his version because over the years there's been like photographs and there's TV edits shown on TV and um, with the Zack Snyder Justice League cut he was kind of far more aggressive and the fans got what they wanted and it's seeing that and I, I think the fans out there who were, saw this film as a holy grail reviews wise have been generally very positive so I think in terms of improving upon what we saw in the theatrical cut I mean he has four hours to play with mm. and he's had the hindsight as well to see how that film turned out I don't think if Zach got to finish the film at the time it would no way would have been four hours long it would have been a suitable kind of two and a half hours 245
0: yeah exactly
1: and still being compromised in some way if that was going to be the whole story We've got a situation that there was going to be two movies, wasn't there? Mm. And they kind of were going to split it. I don't know. But that story that we've been given, I don't think it could be cut in half successfully. No. As I've tried to capture it, was it like six months ago, maybe less? They were going to say it's going to be an episodic show. Mm. And it kind of was. There are six title
2: cards, seven, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So it's
1: there, you know.
2: Yeah. So it almost is. If you want to break this up into like six episodes, you absolutely
0: can. And I know that a lot of people have watched it in chunks to make it a bit more digestible, which is perfect the understandable, whereas I masochistically watched it all in one go. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I was planning on taking a break and doing like in two parts, mm. but... I was actually hooked all the way through. Like, I was like, I'm just going to keep watching. I was like, I'm sitting here and I'm and I, and my butt got a little sore, but uh, I finished it all in one go. Yeah.
0: While this is not going to be really a discussion of the sort of fan community, I definitely think that there were elements of the fan community that were a bit toxic to say the least. I know that there are definitely some people that attack whoever criticizes Snyder. I mean, I've been on the receiving end of that on occasion. And again, that's not because I'm trying to personally attack Snyder. It's just because that's how I feel about the work. I feel that... Snyder he is a talented filmmaker. I haven't always agreed with his take on the material.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's a very strong visualist. Mm. You know, he's come from that background of music videos and commercials. I just don't think he's ever managed to sort of create a really kind of structured movie that kind of works as a whole piece. Mm. It's all about, wow, this looks amazing, but there was always something not quite right that doesn't sit with me. But I think, honestly, out of the movies he's directed with this sort of DC universe, this is probably his best one mm. um, in terms of the coherent kind of plot and just taking his time with things. But, you know, he's got loads of time to play with. Obviously, Batman v Superman, which you kind of touched upon earlier, was sort of the groundwork for this film. I hated Batman v Superman and this sort of crowbarring in the death of Superman so early on. Mm -hmm. The whole tone of the film as well was completely different to Man of Steel, I think. And just to me, as a Superman fan, Zack never was a fan of the character. And when you're looking at the theatrical version and the director's cut of Justice League, you can clearly show that, yeah, he's not really a fan of Superman because he gets less screen time in this version. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. So what were your thoughts on the Snyder Cut. I just literally posted my non spoilerish
1: review today and I managed to sit through the four hours without much difficulty. I, I was kind of hooked all the way through, which was like, really surprised me because the first half an hour, I was like, this is pretty good. <laughs> What's going on? A bit we'll get to later on, I think, in our discussion is the sort of nightmare Gerard Leto kind of Joker sequence, which really kind of slowed mm. the movie down. <laughs> I don't think I needed to be in there. I think it almost kills
2: the movie yeah. right then and there. Yeah,
1: yeah. It feels completely out of place. I think in terms of like character development as well, like the Cyborg and the Flash get so much more screen time and really are integral to the story especially Cyborg himself and Batman is kind of still Batman the Zack Snyder Batman but Wonder Woman's deployed in a good way you know she's kind of there to sort of explain the plot which is kind of missing in the theatrical cut it's like taking the original version and then for the theatrical cut there's basically trim everything until you just literally got the basic element of the story and this one is like a book that isn't missing its chapters Mm. and that's what worked for me I'm still kind of shocked how much I enjoyed it so Man of Steel is some good element in it but because I'm a big fan of Superman I felt it was kind of more of a letdown for me in some areas where this is okay I can push Superman aside I can enjoy the rest of these characters and Zack Snyder's version really kind of does them justice in that (laughs) (laughs) pardon the pun you know (laughs) with those characters so yeah I'd probably say if I had to rate it in some way it would be four out of five probably actually yeah
2: so yeah like uh, going into this movie the conversation was so much about can this redeem the version we got in 2017 that version is terrible I think we all agree on that
0: front yeah right yeah it's pretty bad i didn't appreciate how much the snyder cut had actually changed from the theatrical version because i watched it snyder cut first and then rewatched the theatrical because as it turns out it was on it2 this weekend so i just recorded that <laughs> very conveniently <laughs> watching it afterwards you can see how much of a frankenstein cut it is and yeah the Weeden material is bad 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 we'll get to that a bit later honestly but yeah you can tell that it's a compromise movie that
2: was the conversation, but for me, the surprise was not just that this movie fixed the major problems with the Justice League we got in 2017, but this also fixed the major problems I had with this entire trilogy. Mm. When I look at Man of Steel. I like a lot of that movie, but when you get to the climax, it's just bombastic action. It's unrelentless, and it never stops, and then you get to Batman v Superman, and it's like this dour tone that's self-indulgent, <laughs> and it never <laughs> finds its footing. And for this movie, this was the Snyder I always wanted to work on these projects. He has that mythic godlike appreciation for these characters, but he actually lets them be human and be heroic. That there's more than any of his movies, there's an emphasis on characters saving people, on reducing collateral damage. This has the least amount of destruction of maybe any of the DC movies? Definitely, mm.
1: definitely, yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> They're really good at creating spectacular moments, not just that don't involve destruction, but are about avoiding destruction. Yeah. We get several character beats of the Flash using his powers to save people, Batman saving people, or Wonder Woman saving people. It kept that Snyder mythic tone, but it finally did the things I wanted these characters in this world to do. I think that's what helped me really get involved with the story. But on top of that, this felt like a, a Lord of the Rings style epic. I felt like I was watching The Return of the King extended edition <laughs> watching this movie.
0: It does feel like that. It does have as many endings. <laughs>
2: it does. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. What I kinda of liked about the movie was it sort of had this I would call it like a hypnotic tone, at least for the first half. Hmm. Everything's in slow-mo, right? Oh. <laughs> that slow-mo kind of serves a purpose and that like all of these characters are lost in their own worlds, and we slowly get to know them all and we get to see where they're going. When they all come together, it all feels satisfying in that regard. And one of the criticisms of this world and of this movie in particular was that because there are no setup films to get here, that Snyder has to do all the work that, like, let's say for the Avengers they didn't need to do that work because they had Thor they had Captain America so they didn't have to set those characters up they could just show up and we'd be good yeah and here, Snyder does take that time to give us those origin movies. That's why this movie is four hours long. Is that this is a Cyborg origin movie, this is a Flash origin movie, and this is an Aquaman origin movie. Mm. I actually really got to like this in this sort of epic way. It's, it was different than Marvel. He actually put the legwork in and made me care about these characters. That's what made the movie shine for me.
0: And Lassie, what did you make of the movie?
2: Well, um, in large
3: chunks of it, I was kind of surprised about how unterrible it was. <laughs> <laughs> but i have to say i still didn't like it to me it still had some of the problems of the previous snyder dc films some of it it fixed but i still thought that one of the biggest problem was that i think snyder is much more interested in what these heroes can do as opposed to who these heroes actually are because whenever they were on screen it seemed like a way of snyder showing look how cool they are how they look when they do cool stuff and i didn't really feel that much personality there with some of them of course because we also saw some solo movies which came out after this but uh, for the most part I thought that he didn't really know what to do with them when they weren't doing cool stuff. I mean we will talk about the length later but I thought the length really was an issue. I thought the use of slow motion was really indulgent. It felt like this is the version he wanted to make I guess. It would have been different if he actually made it earlier of course. Mm. It wouldn't have been this long there would be certain scenes maybe not existent. There were some really really grown worthy moments for me and at the end i didn't really feel like i had gained anything new from this because i was surprised by how similar it still was i mean the structure was different the tone was certainly different but it was just so much stuff i already knew from the 2017 version it was kind of like a a weird surreal sitting where it was kind of like being like in the like bernstein thing bernstein bernstein universe (laughs) yeah yeah where it's like i remember seeing this movie but it was kind of different you know (laughs) of course (laughs) this is the case here one of the main problems was that I wasn't able to separate this movie from its origin. Right. The way this movie came into fruition, the way how it was pushed by certain people in a very hateful way. Not all of them, of course, but the minority was really, really loud <laughs> as they tend to be. The way that I constantly was thinking about these hateful people got what they wished, got what they forced into existence. The fact that they are now happy really annoys me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know.
1: <laughs> I suppose you look at it like um, as you were saying about the sort of it's still the same kind of story you could compare it to Alien 3 mm. you know where you've kind of still got the core story is the same with the extended version but it's just so much more meat to it yeah. and you think oh okay this isn't such a slap and dash kind of edit like the theatrical cut was where they kind of all reshot stuff like to get rid of the ox kind of alien and then change it into a dog that's the sort of other comparison I, I kept thinking about while watching yeah. Justice League
3: yeah it's actually a really great comparison comparison, because regarding like how they change certain stuff, especially the one big flashback where it was Steppenwolf in the Whedon or studio version of 2017 and here this dark side that really kind of reminds you of things they did in Alien 3 Mm. when you uh, compare the cinema version to the assembly version. One nagging thought that came into my head quite often. I know you Matthew, have read The Disaster Artist like the actual book.
0: Yeah, yeah, I've I've read The Disaster Artist, yeah.
3: (laughs) There's a part where Greg Sestero talks about uh, Tommy Wiseau's attitude in the editing room and where he said and he quotes him nothing will be cut
0: (laughs) Ah, that's amazing
3: (laughs) and that's really the case
0: here (laughs) I would definitely agree this is the most Snydery of Snyder cuts so it is pure and uncut
2: bigger longer and uncut
0: and in (laughs) some ways that is a considerable improvement on what we got back in 2017 because there is a singular vision here I think it is beneficial to now see it in one piece. Hmm. I do have to admit that I felt the length a lot. I was looking at the construction of this and kind of going, well, this doesn't need to be here and this doesn't need to be here. Even so, it was nice to see all the pieces, even if I don't think that this was in any way what we would call releasable. (laughs) But it is what I would argue as being a very, very polished assembly cut.
1: Yes, it's not releasable in any way in terms of a theatrical sense.
0: No, Everyone's streaming now. It's kind of become the sort of norm to have things longer it definitely feels like a cut for the fans which is perfectly fine I think given the circumstances of it it's perhaps understandable why Snyder has left all the stuff in it's not really a refined edit well I'd hate to use the word refined about anything to do with the editing of the theatrical version
2: (laughs) disciplined
0: (laughs) but I do think that the theatrical version has more of a sense of structure to it whereas I think the Snyder cut does feel a bit all over the place at times and certain scenes feel like they're a bit disjointed and out of order, a later edit would have obviously kind of fixed those things. I think that the biggest boons to the movie is that fleshing out the characterization of the various members of the Justice League, but also, as you mentioned before, the music and the color timing make huge amounts of difference to the tone and feeling of the movie, and having that not being betrayed by the edit makes a substantial amount of difference. I think this ties in my opinions on the theatrical version of the movie, where I re-watched it... And and the Whedon editions stuck out like an absolute sore thumb because they're so flatly shot. Whedon comes from a completely different background. He comes from a television background. And all the scenes in the theatrical cut that were shot by Whedon feel like they were made for a television show. (laughs) Like, there's no kind of drama or cinematic framing to any of the events on screen. And this is a stark contrast to Snyder, who has a very visual aesthetic to his work, arguably sometimes to his detriment. I always feel like Snyder always kind of pushes everything for the most dramatic effect, which has an effect of actually numbing everything diminishing it yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it feels like everything is in bold type
2: it kind of reminds me like that you talk about like that awful partnership of weed and sensibilities do not go along at any way mm. with snyder sensibilities it reminded me a lot of the sequel trilogy where it's like i love ryan johnson and i love jj abrams but they are not collaborative <laughs> storytellers <It feels laughs> kind of very similar here where it's like the jj abrams cut of last jedi or something like that
3: <laughs> what i realized while watching this is that it's also concerns for pacing in a way way Snyder films his stuff because every single moment in this is supposed to be like the biggest most awesome thing ever and this results in not much actually feeling all that big. Those moments cancel each other out constantly. I think the epitome of this was like seeing a burger seat falling <laughs> in slow motion right into the camera and, and I was like if you are making all these moments like so incredibly big it, it results in nothing feeling really big or important. Like everything just bleeds into each other tonally, and you're not allowed to appreciate the
1: moments which actually are maybe kind of cool. I think that's kind of a thing that's uh, across Zack's films for me. It's like, especially going back to things like Watchmen, mm. where I still quite enjoy that movie, but there's a mm. lot of scenes where everything just looks, wow, that looks amazing, but there's some sort of disconnect with the material. Yeah. For me, as the viewer.
2: It's because you're focused on the spectacle and you're not engaged in specifically what that scene or that element's about. I will say I typically feel that way to regards to Snyder's films especially Batman v Superman Mm. but here I actually didn't mind the visual glamour as it were and thought that for the most part every cinematic choice enhanced the characters and I was only ever thinking about the story I was never being distracted from the story by the mise-en-scene as it were
0: I feel like the thing that kind of bugged me a little bit was the uh I know Zack is the one that popularized speed ramping <laughs> but he definitely does that a lot here it reminded me of that garth Marengi quote virtually everything that wasn't dialogue was considered for slow motion <laughs> it definitely feels like that sometimes in the action scenes where virtually every moment where you could consider a slow-mo shot is all shot in slow motion so characters <laughs> reloading and things like that and
2: the speed ramping was not there in either man of steel or batman v superman at batman v superman it
3: was a tiny bit more a man of steel basically nothing yeah the man of still feels like to me Nolan and Snyder kind of clashing in a way mm. I kind of feel like with Man of Steel Snyder was making
2: a Nolan
1: film
0: yeah
2: that was what he was trying to do
1: pleasing nobody <laughs> he's kind of <laughs> trying to follow in the footsteps wasn't he to try and capture that success of the Batman films the thing that always bugged me about Man of Steel was that you know it was all shot on shaky cam you know kind of oh. over the shoulder all the time and I was just like just please use a tripod please please <laughs> and he did for Batman v Superman I was like oh thank god but then you know we were just watching a film that's kind of to me kind of horrible but Matthew You kind of touched upon some of the sort of color correction and the music. Mm. Looking at the Danny Elfman score and hearing the Junkie XL version, which I thought Junkie XL or Tom Holkenberg's new version of the score was actually really impressive. I haven't really been a big fan of Junkie XL's kind of work; it's kind of mixed. I like Mad Max, but his other stuff was kind of a little bit hit and miss. His stuff for Zack Snyder's version was kind of far more triumphant and less of the whams, you know, Hans Zimmer kind of (laughs) trait. But Danny Elfman, as you kind of go back and rewatch the theatrical cut, where he's throwing in his Batman theme or John Williams Superman theme. Oh, at the oh. time, as a fan of those films, I adore Richard Donner's Superman. I was very happy to hear that, but, you know, continuity from the previous films. Yeah, musical continuity. Yeah. It didn't fit. It didn't fit at all. And no. on the album for Danny Elfman's score, you can hear the Batman theme pushed very heavily in the third act where, he, you know, he bursts through the bubble, as it were, or Steppenwolf's bass. In the film, it is played down the mix so low, so <laughs> I don't want you to hear it, you know. With the colour changes and totally the final battle where you've got all this kind of weird branching out of this kind of weird um, purpley stuff or pink stuff that's kind of gone in this version which I thought was interesting
0: I think that there is a concerted effort in the Warner Brothers cuts, just as a general change is to lighten the tone and they took that very literally in terms of the colour grading which feel at times like a Facebook filter or an Instagram (laughs) filter you know where you kind of tweak the colours very gradually but you kind of push them to the ridiculous amounts of saturation (laughs) it feels like that
2: I've seen student films with better cinematography
0: yeah
1: <laughs> it made the suits look very strange didn't it with the color adjustments and the sort of Batman suit in particular looked kind of weird and Superman's as well where they've kind of added kind of like darker elements to sort of give him more muscle definition but you can't see that originally the Josh Whedon version you can kind of see what they were doing with the costumes
3: yeah that's really the problem like I mean the, the 2017 version it, it looked incredibly ugly and when you like Zack Snyder's style and vision I think this movie would look a lot better to you the thing is if you don't like his vision, and I really don't care for it, at least in this case. Mm. I've seen some films where I liked it just fine, where it really worked. This one just looked ugly in a different way to me. Where it's like, I mean, he was uh, talking about like releasing a black and white version. I think that's still coming out at some point. He really doesn't need to do that because there's barely any color in this anyway.
0: <laughs> it is quite a desaturated color grade this time around, quite muted and quite gray. I really liked the uh, color grade this time. It reminded me a lot
2: of the visual look of like the second Hobbit movie. Mm
1: oh yeah 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 that's a good point
3: yeah. a little bit in certain scenes yeah also, also the third one I think
1: there's moments in Star Labs which look really nice yes you know the computer stuff and all the sort of colour it kind of works but there's other stuff where like Wonder Woman goes to Crete or whatever and she takes the arrow there's like hardly any colour there
0: where it should be like quite a vibrant kind of thing
2: especially with the fire like the fire should be blown out it should be <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah
0: yeah I do feel like there could have been a slight compromise there but that's my personal taste more than anything but uh mm-hmm. It just shows the very stark difference, but also that color grading plays a substantial role in changing the feel and tone of the movie, which is why, in addition with those musical changes and that plastering by Danny Elfman, Mm. because Danny Elfman has often done a lot of superhero themes. He, of course, worked on the Spider-Man films. And Hulk. (laughs) As well as, of course, Batman and many, many others. So many. Elfman was clearly brought in to give a more traditional feel to the movie. As we've obviously stated, like, it's just a sort of simple attempt to try and make the audience feel something and if you put in the old (laughs) themes then maybe they'll remember those movies and like this one (laughs) you know play off the audience's nostalgia
2: (laughs) it worked on me (laughs) i I think the use of the themes there is like the perfect embodiment of that theatrical cut because like if you're going to reuse those old themes at least do it triumphantly at least like make it part of the subtext of like this idea of like these characters were deconstructed and now they're being reaffirmed in their classical images and that Mm. but the mixing of those classic themes is so baked to the bottom of the yeah, that you don't even notice it it's so like cowardly it's so pathetic yeah it's really a missed opportunity because i really really liked danny elfman's
3: score for the 2017 version because i saw it as kind of like a fan project or like something he was just having fun with in a way yeah maybe he didn't even take the job all that seriously or the thing itself wasn't supposed to be taken all that seriously but he was like i'm just having fun with this and uh, springing with themes in here and there and as a standalone album it's really really fun and in the movie there are certain uh, moments where it's also really fun but the thing is even there you can tell that it's like the studio breathing down his neck because the main theme for the actual justice league sounds very similar to his like avengers hybrid theme from age of ultron
2: right yeah as a counter to that i do believe that of all the things to criticize man of steel for the one thing you can't criticize is that film's score that score is one of my favorite Hans zimmer scores of all time i liked it yeah you know for jenny elfin to come in it, it really goes to show that with both joss Whedon and that entire team he brought on board there was no respect for the the material they were finishing that so much is clear yeah and it's one thing to have disagreements over it, but to have no respect for what the other teams were doing for that creative vision that of course everything fell apart in that theatrical cut and to not use that batman theme to not use that superman theme, not even use the wonder woman theme. oh yeah he does he actually uh
3: danny actually uh, does use the wonder woman material in, in the bank scene
2: right you know he does he does it like the beginning right but not throughout the
3: mix. no 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 but i think he wanted to emphasize more like the group feeling and he was like i'm i'm not uh, gonna push like the individual character themes aside from the Batman and Superman stuff of course but for the other characters which at that point we didn't really know all that well aside from Wonder Woman and he uh, lets like the group theme play but he actually he, he gives some flourishes to the Flash there isn't really something distinct for Aquaman at least I didn't catch it I think there is one but it's very very faint I think the score is actually really fun I didn't really quite like this score and I actually liked the last few Tom Halkenborg efforts
0: as you say Lassie the score is fun on its own terms it's just not Compatible with the movie. And I think overall, re watching the theatrical cut of Justice League, it reminds me of watching, um, I don't mean to put down Joel Schumacher here, but Batman Forever. It feels kind of like that. It kind of has that tone.
1: Oh, the sort of shift in tone of music. Yeah. That's
0: kind of weird. Yes, yeah, that's, that's a good comparison. Yeah. And
2: both movies were following up divisive second movies that were criticized for being too dark.
0: Yeah, exactly. And as you said, Jonathan, what I really got out of the theatrical cut this time was Whedon's disdain for Snyder's material. What I took away from it was that. Whedon wasn't completing the movie. He was trying to fix it in his own image. And when that happened, everything went wrong because it's clear that Warner Brothers hired him as the director of the Avengers and literally said, hey, make the Avengers again. So all the key exposition scenes are totally reshot. Now we have a group dynamic introduced in the theatrical version where they're now bickering amongst each other, which is very much what they were doing in the first two of the Avengers movie. yeah, But here, because the characters, you don't know them properly, it means that you don't care about them because they just end up looking like a bunch of bickering jerks. Whereas in the Snyder version, they actually work together as a unit. Whereas instead, Whedon embraces that kind of false antagonism. And what really surprised me about the Whedon stuff is that I thought, okay, most of his changes are kind of concentrated at the beginning and the end. But actually, that's not true. The changes are sustained throughout the entire movie. There's a lot of scenes that are... Mostly Snyder's. and then they will cut into a little smarmy one-line quip. Just inserted it in, and I go, "Why did you bother?" Like brunch. Like, what is brunch?
3: Yeah, yeah. You know? But that must have cost so much money, and it's just like one line per scene. It's so weird. <laughs>
0: I hear you like to talk to fish. You know that sort of thing. Ah, oh, dresses like a bat. You know that sort of line that kind of undermines how serious the characters are, but in a way which kind of feels just smug. There are
3: actually some contributions of this. I. Can't Kind of enjoyed. Um uh, one of them was one line from Steppenwolf he added, which I like, where he has the hostages and kills them one by one. Oh please, please, I have a family. That's still in the Snyder cut. But what Whedon added is when Steppenwolf is like, why does everybody keep telling me that? <laughs> <laughs> the second I heard that, it was like, oh yeah, that's Wedding. That added like a tiny bit more personality to him, and there's an, uh, there's another thing which was like a whole new scene where Aquaman, I mean it comes out of nowhere, where Aquaman basically just uh tells like, you know, I don't I don't want to die. I really don't know if I'm up to this task. And then it turns out he sat on Wonder Woman's Lesser of Truth the entire time. It's it's kind of hokey because it comes out of nowhere, but I actually really liked that scene.
0: There's a couple of little things about the Whedon reshoots that I didn't mind. Like the callback to Do You Bleed? Yeah, probably was an all right callback.
2: That would work if it wasn't so obviously Greenspan.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's like how the film opens, the theatrical cut with Superman. Oh, Super- God. Oh, oh, yeah. God. <laughs> it, it's such a bad sort of CG job. But in terms of summing up who Superman is, it really kind of nailed Superman in that little moment there. But yeah, it was just a kind of clunky reshoot.
2: But what cost, you know, like at that point, the uncanny valley of it yeah. completely ruins any sentiment that scene might have had. The
0: Cavill stuff is all ruined by the reshoots that immediately tanks them right out the gate. The thing that really surprised me about the theatrical version, though, is how much decent footage that Whedon had, and he just junked it or reshot it in inferior ways for no reason. Yeah. Whedon pissed away the studio's money on things that could have easily been kept.
2: And not just could have been kept, but I would say the best material of the movie is the stuff that was cut.
0: Some of the stuff that he chose to remove, I genuinely don't understand the logic behind it, other than was he trying to get a director's credit? He's fixing things that weren't problems, like that first scene between Lois and Martha. Great scene in the Snyder version. And then, for some reason, in the Whedon cut, they decide that they're going to reshoot this in the Daily Planet offices.
1: It looks like a drug commercial.
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's so flatly shot, and it looks like it's filmed in a random office at the production studio.
1: It's really bad, isn't it? I'm surprised he didn't go to Milton Keynes and shoot additional bits there, you know, like Superman 4.
0: It reminds me of that bit at the end of The Snowman. Do you remember the <laughs> oh, final, final oh, yeah. scene? Yeah. yeah. Where Michael is supposed to be in the police briefing room. It's clearly the production's break room. <laughs> it's like that. It's so bad.
3: Absolutely, yeah. The talking scene between the two of them kind of turns into something else in the Snyder Cut. But I was like, cut it just a little bit
0: earlier. Yeah. Like, there's really no reason why you didn't keep this. It's it's really kind of a nice scene. With the Cavill stuff, you go, why did he bother reshooting the scene with Lois and Clark in the cornfield? Why did he not prioritize having the footage that he didn't need to CG? Like, why? <laughs> why?
2: I think at that point you can't look at this in terms of him not even him trying to make his own movie or him trying to sell it. Like, I think what Whedon was doing, and we've learned a lot about Whedon in the last four years or so. Oh, yeah. So I think he's just a spiteful person. I think this is about power. I think this was about about control mm. the idea that this was perhaps creative self-sabotage is not outside the realm of possibility oh yeah because after like
3: the theatrical release came out and people were like shitting on steppenwolf and all of that he liked, he liked uh, all of those tweets yeah, and all yeah. of that so, so it's really kind of interesting and uh, i think even he said that he got the job to repurpose the movie because i, I think that there was something and maybe i'm, I'm butchering the quote here where i was basically saying that he maybe had some plans for like a bad girl movie or something that was exactly it yeah and that's why the studio was like okay come in In and later he said yeah I was just bullshitting I had no idea for like a bad girl movie I just blatantly lied to them oh (laughs) really and I was like dude it's (laughs)
1: yeah god (laughs) because it's clear that Josh wasn't going to be getting a credit on this I mean his job I think Matthew said very early on was to sort of come in and just finish this movie but yeah it is still baffling why he decided to reshoot stuff and so extensively yeah maybe it's his way of trying to condense down the plot like we're gonna reshoot this bit but sort of cover these areas in a quicker amount of time and
2: also so the uh, two-hour mandate from the studio. Yeah. yeah,
1: that was always going to be impossible for him to me. Oh, yeah. As we've kind of all fully aware, these characters had no set-up movie. So it's so difficult to induce all these characters have a solid start, middle and end and for this kind of big team-up film.
3: It might also be a case of maybe the studio gave him a certain amount of money and said, you have this much for the reshoots and then Whedon kind of realized that I don't really even need that much and so he reshot all of that stuff to justify the budget they
1: gave him, I guess, maybe? But the theatrical can't is still kind of baggy. There's still a lot of scenes where nothing's happening. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's the funny thing about it. You know, I mean, with this the four-hour cut, even though it's four hours long, there's stuff, a lot of stuff happening to sort of somewhat justify its length. Mm. It's going to be the topic of discussion for years to come with this kind of theatrical cut and Snyder cut. If there's ever a book or documentary about it, that will probably be the most fascinating element about these movies.
2: Oh, for sure. I would love to even see, like, the original Snyder cut, like, a year ago before any work was done on it. I'd love to see that version. Mm.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because also, have we discussed, the redesign of Steppenwolf and sort of the introduction of Darkseid.
2: Oh, it's so much better. Even like subtle things that made such a big improvement. Yeah. All of the action scenes are ten times better in this version. They have so much better sense of physicality and momentum. Like in the theatrical cut, they're edited to have no rhythm to them. Yeah, they're all chopped up. Oh yeah. The way Steppenwolf moves has a real presence, has a real physicality. It reminded me a lot of like the Hulk, even in the Avengers films. It felt believable in that world.
1: Steppenwolf felt like a real threat in this movie. Yeah. He felt like a credible villain. It it also had a interesting motive he wasn't just doing dark side bidding, he was trying to prove his worth sort of implied that he's kind of maybe turned against him in the past or he's done something bad then you know he goes oh you've got to get captured another hundred thousand worlds before you can come back or whatever
0: it adds a new dimension to him it sort of reminded me of the silver surfer vaguely mm. yeah I still think to some degree that Steppenwolf is a bit of a one dimensional bad guy in that he exists to bring the justice league together in much the same way as the plot is a sort of gathering quest mm. that is purely functional.
2: He's a means to an end yeah. and you buy it because he's not the focus. The focus is the Flash, Cyborg Batman. You're invested in those characters and he is a means to that end and I'm fine with it. It's the same way Marvel does it. Mm. I would like more three-dimensional villains but sometimes you only have so much screen time. I guess
3: maybe. I-, I didn't really see that much more of a dimension to him. I was like oh mm. he wants to suck up to his boss I guess. Yeah. And I don't know why people like, are like appraising him online as more of like, the best comic book <laughs> villains. I think that's Really an overstatement and I thought his design was bad and clearly unfinished in the 2017 version this new design I think lacks some personality like he looks much more like a monster in the face You had like a little puppy dog look to him yeah Maybe. yeah that's it like in, in the 2017 version it was a little bit more personality in the face and also in the voice they really overdid his voice in this new version I thought is it the same voice actor or do they get no different voice it
0: was yeah it was Kieran Hines From Game of Thrones and the terror or whatever yeah yeah except he's virtually unrecognizable here in either version Yes. yeah
3: yeah that's it like they really overdid his voice and the way he was designed with, there was one cool moment he was like shot with arrows and then his armor
1: destroys the arrows yes I loved that that was so cool that was a good moment wasn't it yeah, yeah.
3: and I was like okay this is cool not gonna lie but the way he was designed really reminded me of the uh, Michael Bay version of the Shredder Yeah, this big like yeah. penis envy kind of design <laughs>
0: blades on top of blades <laughs> spiky, yeah, yeah, yeah. spiky
1: spiky spiky <laughs> blades and spikes and that means it's awesome look how awesome it is As if you could touch upon the sort of the ideas of the mother boxes because mm. obviously again it's another plot dealing with terraforming but the mother boxes were apparently never in the comics supposed to do that they're sort of boom tubes that sort of transport I presume one dimension to another mm-hmm. but the anti-life equation thing that should have been the main focus point I think of this movie yeah by the end you're like oh it's about this and Earth is kind of the planet that Darkseid needs to conquer mm. and I do like the kind of set up that Superman's scream wakes up the mother boxes mm. years ago when Superman Returns was coming out and you have that moment where Lex stabs Superman in the back and he screams and someone said to me you know there's a moment where you hear his scream throughout the world it never happens in the film it's actually a, a moment they should have included because you never hear Superman scream that much apart from like Superman the movie which is a really powerful scream oh yeah and then this one they you know deploy that and it works so I yeah as as I was sort of referring to the anti-life equation that should have been the focus and not another terraforming plot which is a bit of a shame really
3: that's something that just gets thrown into this and also that is one thing I would kind of, like, call a plot hole or something, or at least mm. like some kind of contrivance.
1: It's set up, isn't it? It's set up for another film.
3: It's a setup, but it's also something that didn't really make much sense to me because basically Steppenwolf rediscovers that this equation, which I guess is kind of like a barcode or something, or it has like the function of a barcode for destroying the world or something. I- I'm not quite sure. They don't explain it that well.
1: No, in the comics, it's supposed to essentially give Darkseid the power to manipulate. That's how you kind of manipulate Superman. Oh, yeah, okay, okay. To do his bidding, basically. we yes, Batman seeing in his nightmares.
3: And I guess he embedded it in the earth and then forgot it there, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's this whole revelation where Steppenwolf goes to him and says, I rediscovered it. It was on earth. And I was like, back then, like, Darkseid was there. Wouldn't you remember on what planet you lost this really important thing? Yeah. And mm. you lost this whole battle and almost your
2: life? This really didn't make any sense. The Darkseid <laughs> didn't know the the equation was. And-, <laughs> and there's a really easy Workaround on that if they just said that Darkseid sent Steppenwolf there to do his bidding, whether A, because he was traumatized the last time he went, or B, as a test for Steppenwolf, as like a way to finally set things straight. Yeah, hmm.
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: That would have yeah. worked just fine.
0: Otherwise, though, the plot is far more coherent in this Snyder version, not least of which because the exposition scenes are restored. I think while Whedon might have reshot them for the purpose of they are very solemn in terms of exposition, I don't think that they need to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Mm. There's one more thing I wanted to say about Steppenwolf
3: because there's uh, something really hilarious uh, jumped out to me. In terms of like his minions, they actually get a proper introduction in the Whedon version in the first Batman scene which was just a complete oh, yeah. reshoot yeah. where they basically establish like what the parademons are. They can smell fear and all of that. In this one, they just kind of there, you know, they're his minions, whatever, they don't really get an introduction. Would you say they were established in Batman v Superman but that was a dream yeah. sequence
2: so I guess that doesn't count.
3: Yeah, It was a dream sequence and you didn't know what they were supposed to be but in the Whedon version tries to explain what they are which is just dropped here because it was a reshoot but there was one hilarious thing I noticed when I watched it back in 2017 because the finale because they set up they sense fear and all of that and then at the end of the battle in 2017 Steppenwolf is defeated and then his minions gather around him and he's like ah I'm still going to win and they sense your fear or something like that and then one of the heroes goes no I think it's your fear they're sensing (laughs) And then they grab him And pull him into this hell gate Whatever And then he disappears That scene Is almost beat by beat And line by line
2: Ripped off From the DreamWorks animated movie Rise of the Guardians Oh really? (laughs) wow It it feels very much like A Disney end Very much like Scar in the Lion King Yeah They
3: just straight up Ripped off An animated DreamWorks movie For Justice League Whereas
2: in the Snyder version He gets stabbed through the heart And gets his skull crushed And cut off And
0: (laughs) it's gnarly yeah, Wonder Woman cuts his head off as he flies back into Darkseid's portal.
1: Do you guys think it's suitable for younger kids to watch that film? No. Well, it's, this movie was rated R already. Parents would still watch it, though, probably not think about it, would they? And just let their kids
0: watch it. But I don't think it was that bad. It felt very PG-13. Yeah. Kids have seen Deadpool. This is not as bad. <laughs> I was
1: surprised to see Wonder Woman cut off his head. I was like, oh, <laughs> that's
0: a bit harsh, yeah. you know. There is definitely a slight hell difference. It's more like the sort of R-rated version of Batman v Superman. Man, which still got a 12 certificate in the UK, where there's a couple of extra blood spurts, but otherwise... It's the same movie. Yeah, it's got a couple of extra F-bombs in it. I gotta be honest, those don't need to be in the movie.
2: I liked the first one, I hated the
1: second one. Is it Batman swearing, isn't it?
0: There's actually three, there's three. There was some other one fairly early on. Cyborg says F the world at one point,
1: I like that.
0: Okay. While Whedon's stuff is definitely, to some extent, condensing for the sake of running time, a lot of Whedon's material. Also recontextualizes Snyder's. there's Snyder's stuff in the theatrical Whedon cut but it's in a different manner so it changes even on smaller details
2: or like other things for instance like one of my favorite bits in the movie is how they use the Flash in the newer version Mm. for instance that scene where they resurrect Superman and he's running to touch the cube that's a setup for what the Flash will do later and so like overall the movie has a lot of little cool tiny setups and payoffs that are completely missing in the Justice League version
0: it's a coherent story yeah Because
1: it shows that the Flash can, you know, he's, you know, obviously the cyborg was integral to get inside the mother box. But also the Flash was so important to sort of save everyone because it was also they were too late. You had to reverse time, like Superman. <laughs> but he sort of reverses time to save the day. The biggest problem with the theatrical cut, like of all the things we've talked
2: about, the second Superman is revived, that movie lacks any tension, the theatrical cut.
1: Yeah, that's true.
2: And now what they've done a really good job of is making every member of the team essential to saving the day. Mm, definitely. I think that core problem has been resolved. At least for me.
1: Superman's less of a deus ex machina. Yeah, because Superman just turns up overpowered, and that's the thing. Yeah. I suppose it's a jumping point to sort of his return, because the fans always wanted to see Superman in the black suit. I don't know why. I never understood people's obsession with that. (laughs) Oh, I know why. It's cool. (laughs) Because it's cool and black. Because it looks cool. (laughs) Yet he wore it in the comics as a regeneration suit when he came back from the dead.
0: Technically, it is a regeneration suit here as well. It would make sense
1: if he wore a black suit when he's evil. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Because they shot it with him in the blue and red, and yellow suit during those moments. So they just color kind of corrected it again. They
3: did. Because that's something I thought the original plan was. I thought uh, maybe part of the original Snyder version was that Superman came back, but he was actually evil. Yeah. And the fight scene against the Justice League, which is pretty close in the weeden cut, was like the setup for now he's evil and he would actually be leading Dark Sides or Seven Wolf's army. And that would be the reason why his suit was black and then during the finale he might be turned good again but in this no he just has the black suit because Snyder fans and himself they think that it looks cool
1: that was the early rumors wasn't it like oh Zach's version he's evil mm. it's just like fan spin and speculation yeah. it ends up being never true because they all thought he had a beard and stuff yeah.
0: no no turns out it's simpler <laughs> than that
2: <laughs> one thing that I thought was funny in this version uh, the one action scene I hated the theatrical actual, but actually liked here was the opening Wonder Woman action scene mm. and I kind of loved how they embraced just how powerful she was like mm. she was knocking those dudes down like ragdolls. It was
1: glorious. She killed one of them, didn't she?
0: Yeah, throwing them into walls. Yeah. <laughs> it was kind of a little bit awkward because obviously Wonder Woman has been set up in the solo films like Patty Jenkins as being a bit more benevolent and a bit more generous. You
1: watch the mall scene yeah. in 84 and then go to this scene. Yeah. It's night and day. <laughs> it's like seeing like Zack Schneider, then the Wonder Woman 84 was like Richard Lester kind of like yeah. Wonder Woman, you know.
0: It's really awkward, even in this movie, because it feels like it's trying to play. Towards what was already established in Patty Jenkins' solo film, so you have the sequence where Wonder Woman throws bad guys into walls and she obliterates them to the point where she blasts out the window of the building onto the police outside. That was
1: like the hint of Snyder. It's like you had to get one of those in there. If you think where Justice League now fits within these movies, Aquaman as well, the world they've designed for Atlantis is so different to what mm-hmm. we saw in Justice yeah. League. Like you look at Volcko, it feels like
0: continuity is still kind of different with the established world even in the theatrical version it didn't line up with the Aquaman that we got yeah. but it's definitely clear that Aquaman was heavily revised after the release of Justice League it was completely rethought oh definitely because in Justice League it felt like such a small world didn't it it did yeah
1: oh yeah and Atlantis did I think there's one shot in the Zack Snyder's version where you can see the city in the distance I think that's kind of the placeholder to say okay this is kind of a, an offshoot where they are a bit further away from the actual main hub as it were
0: yeah it feels kind of weird the stuff we Will if I was new in Snyder Cut
1: yeah what do you guys think of the music choices like the actual songs they put in oh god because <laughs> it's the only one I liked which was when the flash saves that woman and takes the hot dog yes I liked that the song when there's ladies are singing when Aquaman leaves oh, yeah. it went on for too long I was like oh god
0: yeah easy cut right there yeah it feels yeah. like hereditary is about to start <laughs> um <laughs>
2: in the theatrical cut when Aquaman's like he saves the one dude and he puts him in the bar and he's like drinks on him and he walks out. Yeah. And then like, in the theatrical cut it's the White Stripes it's the song from the trailer of Yeah. And it's like this badass rock yeah. song. And this version it's like this really mellow it's like I'm trying to remember what the song was but it was completely different. That's
1: when it kind of falls into those kind of music video trappings where it just goes on for a little bit too long and they slow everything down and it's just like I know what he's trying to do but it's kind of outstays its welcome in some areas.
0: Those track choices too often are really on the nose in Snyder's films.
1: Yeah, extremely.
3: Like, I kind of had Suicide Squad flashbacks during those sequences. Mm-hmm. Okay, nothing in here
2: is as bad as Suicide Squad, though.
0: Let's be clear on that. It's not quite <laughs> as bad as Suicide Squad, but it's still a bit distracting. <laughs>
2: but it's not quite Guardians of the Galaxy, or yeah. Not quite, but it's kind of
3: very obvious choices. It, it reminded me of Watchmen from time to time. Mm-hmm. But in Watchmen, I actually liked most of the songs he used, and that was also obvious. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Sort of epic green, aren't they, those songs?
3: But I really dislike the song choices here, especially during the Flash sequence where I I think most people really like that scene. I really didn't like it because... it's like a disney movie where it's like the song explains what's going on it's just so on the nose and it just completely freezes the movie obviously (laughs) part of what
2: i liked about this movie in comparison to the other dc movies and what that scene sort of cements is that we see characters having fun Mm. expressing themselves through their powers yeah which is kind of what i always wanted out of superman and that's what i like about the raimi spider-man films is that idea that like his life is miserable but the second he puts on the suit he gets to truly be himself Mm -hmm. that's why felt with that Flash scene. Mm. It's like that moment where no one's watching. He's having his moment and like he's having that moment in
0: the spotlight. I have mixed feelings on that Flash scene because I feel like that is an easy cut. I know it's Flash's introduction generally but it doesn't serve anything else in the movie. I know it's one of the more upbeat moments and that was actually one of the things that surprised me about this new cut is that I was expecting it to be tonally quite similar to Batman v Superman mm. especially when Snyder was making weird proclamations like there'll be no humor in this cut. There was. There was. <laughs> Did you watch your own movie, Zach? Yeah. <laughs> there's plenty of it. It's not oppressively dour like Batman v Superman. I welcome that, especially Ezra Miller's Flash. I think that he definitely adds some welcome notes of humour there, but there's also other characters as well that also add some humour. I think that Miller's Flash grated on me a bit.
1: Yeah, totally. I don't understand why he has to run like complete plonker. <laughs> like he's ice skating, isn't he? Like all the time. It's weird. Yeah, it looks like that. When you watch someone run fast like Stallone in Rocky, or Tom Cruise they are like arms stiff running at top speed but he runs like he's an ice skater it's bizarre
3: and I guess that maybe that might be the point they wanted to give him this really distinct run mm. because at that point we had seen several people with speedrun yeah, powers in yeah. cinema
1: already let's make it worse <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> I was really surprised by how many of the jokes actually were from the the Snyder version. Apparently, yeah, yeah. The Flash one, the one at the rooftop, I thought was for sure a Whedon joke, and that was that was Snyder. That was like the only part I actually liked of his humor. I don't know, like I think Whedon was a more talented writer when it came to humor than Terry and Snyder or whoever else, like had his hands on this script because for the most part his gags really fell flat to me. And I think uh, some of the Whedon contributions were a little bit funnier here and there, but some Sometimes it was also annoying because I found him quite unbearable in this. I thought he was at least tolerable in the Whedon version.
1: Mm.
0: I think when it comes to the humor, I think that that's one of the areas where I ponder whether there was already a response to Batman v Superman. There is an attempt to try and lighten the tone somewhat from that movie.
2: There was. So I've, I've done a bit of research on this. When Snyder was making the movie, it was two people. One of them was Jeff Johns, but like they were Warner Brothers' eyes and ears hmm. on the production. They were on every moment of the set, and it was this idea that like Snyder always kind of had to get approval for a lot of this version like you know this is his vision for the most part but even going into this movie this movie is to some degree still compromised mm-hmm. that this is not the full extent of what he set out to make that this was going to be a two-parter and how this movie ends was the end of part one because mm-hmm. they were going to go into two-parter Justice League movie even as early back as a uh, early 2016 or so yeah they were playing on like a two-parter then Batman V Superman came out it had a huge opening and then flopped right after so like Hard to judge how that movie performed hmm. because it made so much money so fast and then made not much money after that it's just
1: word of mouth and not it? it just killed it yeah if part two was going to be dealing with dark side right which is probably clear you know by the end of this movie
2: yeah oh it's certainly
1: it's still trying to get to this kind of super villain very quickly yeah that's always bothered me about this new dc universe we'll just get to avengers style adventure yeah most people kind of really wanted a man of steel too or give it some breathing space the reaction to this and people want to restore the Snyder. of Universe, whatever yeah. Warner Brothers are like no we've moved on from this kind of shared universe stuff we're just going to focus on these separate things they need to
2: take out a movie at a time
1: yeah and yeah. I, I think The Flash you know th- also is going to be dealing with the multiverse so that may correct what Zack had done and by the end of that movie we'll probably have a more I don't know more of a Richard Donner style Superman I don't know yeah
0: it's funny because Warner Brothers really put their eggs in one basket when it came to Snyder and it's mm. a strange thing because the reception to Man of Steel was very polarizing and then that's yeah. a very shaky house of cards to build your franchise on I think that was only exacerbated by Batman v Superman
2: the reception of that movie has always been weird critically it was mixed box office wise was pretty strong but like I remember like the DVD and Blu-ray sales were like amazing for that movie mm. so there was a strong fan base for that movie clearly but yeah they got proper Man of Steel 2 I think was the right decision and they just went right to Batman v Superman
3: I actually think the polarizing reaction to Man of Steel was the reason why Warner Bros said we need to bring Batman in immediately because that's what people like Yeah, and that That's when they started to rush it.
0: That's the problem, is that clearly by this point, Warner Brothers was playing catch-up. There is a lot of things about this new cut that are substantially improved, but I feel like a lot of the issues that I have with Justice League back in 2017, like the fact that it was the culmination of trying to build up this Marvel-style universe without really laying the groundwork properly, feeling like they rushed it and feeling a bit one-dimensional and exists to get all these characters in one space. I don't think overall this cut changes my feeling on that. I still- yeah. think that this is a product mm. of that, but it's just a better version of it.
2: If I were to, like, single out the worst thing about this Snyder Vision, the one thing that, like, bugs me the most, as a parent here, in the very end, are those nightmare-esque <laughs> teases for future movies. Oh yeah. my god. That was a problem for me. I hate that mentality of, we got something really cool, just wait three movies. Yeah. It's gonna be awesome in, like, five years. Like, I'm of the opinion, of just make the fucking movie. I don't care about canon,
1: just make the damn movie. That's what worked for Logan, it worked for Deadpool, if you have a vision, do it. Yeah, just make that standalone movie good. Yeah. Don't worry about, like, trying to please the audience
0: two steps along.
2: Or don't tease me for five years about this awful nightmare vision and don't deliver on anything.
0: The stuff that people hated most about Batman v Superman largely came from the nightmare stuff which comes completely out of nowhere and takes up about five, ten minutes of that movie. You don't know what the hell is going on. <laughs> it's setting up for stuff that was probably about five movies down the line at least. Yeah.
3: yeah. Also what's the problem with the nightmare scenes in Batman v Superman is that the movie already is extremely stylish so you don't recognize that they are dream sequences until it's way too late which is also problem with the opening because we the opening of Batman v Superman you're watching like this montage of the parents getting killed and I was like okay I'm with this so far and then you're like what the fuck is happening like the bat tornado all of
1: a sudden the moment in the Snyder cut where Steppenwolf finds out about the anti equation whatever the scene comes out of nowhere and you're like what the hell is going on until the next scene they explain it yeah story-wise it should be the other way around yeah, you yeah. know you should have some setup
0: a Snyder is very bad with flashbacks and sort of episodic structure like that like the nightmare sequence. One of my problems with this new cut is the amount of flashback expository sequences that are quite lengthy. And I feel like that would have bogged down the pacing of the movie in a shorter edit as well. The flashback with Cyborg, that's a fairly lengthy flashback sequence. It's necessary because obviously we need to flesh out that character because it's the first time we've really seen him properly. But even so, that's a fairly big chunk of the movie. And then you've got the flashback setting up the mother boxes and you've got the sequence on Themyscira which feels like a separate thing to everything else you know it does feel like there's a lot of kind of episodic patches in the movie which is fine in the longer version but I'd imagine pacing wise if you're making this for a cinematic movie you'd have long chunks of it where the Justice League kind of fall out of it oh yeah (laughs) the epilogue is terrible in this movie because it's literally a culmination of Snyder's worst traits for setting up stuff that is never going to happen Okay, the Lex stuff, it needs to be here because obviously that was stuff that Snyder's shot, and it's interesting to see it setting up a different movie than what it was setting up in the theatrical version.
2: Can I talk for a second about, like, not only that, these final three scenes in particular are bad, but the flow of drama is so laughable that you have this tease mm. with Lex Luthor where he says, an eye for an eye, which we all think, great, I set up the Batman movie, which we all know, fell apart and became the Matt Reeves thing.
0: With him against Deathstroke, Deathstroke, instantly all of his shots were redone in the theatrical version he yeah. looks different in the Snyder cuts. I don't know if it's an improvement or not but he's different
2: <laughs> so again we have that set up I understand the movie never never gonna exist but I'm fine keep it in there that's the tease that's the beat you're gonna end on Batman versus Deathstroke what's the next scene? oh it's Batman and Deathstroke together and they're a team and they're gonna fight Superman <laughs> yeah what? <laughs>
1: makes no sense I was like what? Nice.
0: <laughs> and Batman's hanging out with Amber Hood's Mera who has a weird English accent in this that I don't recall having in Aquaman
2: yeah that was clearly dropped yeah. I'm fine with stuff like that because sometimes these actors try something and it doesn't work and so then it's the sequel. It reminds me a lot of like in WandaVision they address how like Scarlet Witch like her accent's completely inconsistent.
1: Mm.
3: Halle Berry in the first X-Men movie had a certain accent which they dropped after that. Right.
2: Yes. That's a perfect example.
1: The whole nightmare sequence is for me is kind of killed by Jared Leto and his Joker. Yeah. Oh, for sure. He was worse than Suicide Squad. Yeah. I wasn't a fan of his interpretation. Was anyone? <laughs> Jared Leto is. Reactions online is all like because he had this conversation with Batman in this nightmare sequence people are like oh it's like the best interpretation or no. it's the best conversation between Batman and Joker <laughs> that's just not true and they know it it's <laughs> not true at all and I think that what kills his performance is his laugh he just sounds like a demented crow yeah and it doesn't have the sort of grandeur or the sort of insanity that comes with like Mark Hamill or Heath Ledger
0: yeah it was, wasn't good and the camera holds on him for ages it's an interminable scene yeah it goes on forever yeah Leto is so bad as the Joker my problem with with Leto's Joker is that it feels like a try-hard version of Ledger's Joker. Mm. It doesn't feel like it has its own original personality. Leto's just kind of doing weird stuff. Ooh, look at me. I'm being weird. Let me improvise (laughs) this reach-around line and have this weird homoerotic tension with Batman. There's a really funny review on Letterboxd where someone just literally just takes that scene and just describes it with the most kind of flamboyant (laughs) euphemisms of what's going on, really playing up the subtext of that. It's a very funny review that scene goes on for what felt like an absolute eternity and nothing's happening there it's just no. them two prattling on endlessly
2: and they didn't even have the balls to say that they lived in a society i mean
0: <laughs> yeah they had that line in the trailer and they didn't put it in the movie cowards cowards, <laughs> cowards.
3: <laughs> uh, it's so stupid i know that that scene was a reshoot yeah. but jesus christ couldn't they have shot like one other angle of that scene
1: yes yeah, very tight very tightly shot
3: yeah very tight always from behind like couldn't they just roll the green screen around it was just so claustrophobic it was so clunky
1: it was ah they should have cut to reaction shots of the other characters just going what the fuck's going on here (laughs) (laughs) that'd be funny (laughs) everything just feels disconnected
0: and then Bruce wakes up and you get the Martian Manhunter bit at the end Affleck's so checked out by that point and I'm looking at him going oh yeah I feel you bro I feel you
1: (laughs) because I didn't mention him in my review because it's kind of you know trying to avoid any spoilers but he definitely needs a lot more work done in the sort of CG department. It's, it's very yeah. kind of like a PlayStation 3 or 4 cutscene. He reminded
3: me of Dragon Ball Evolution version of Piccolo, but that was at least make-up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I've seen a photo of Martian Manhunter in the DC TV universe. He looks way better.
1: He's good in Supergirl. Yeah, he pops up. and I, I, I don't mind him appearing at all. You know, Martian It's great. Great character. I think the final shot in the movie shouldn't have been Martian Manhunter. It should have been Superman.
0: Absolutely.
3: Oh yeah, Superman just having a conversation and then flying away with What's... Yeah. really triumphant
0: well technically by that point the movie's been over for about 25 minutes it has a final shot and it's Clark going into the camera yeah and then it blacks out and goes into another set of <laughs> epilogues
2: I find it funny that the whole movie is about the importance of Superman and bringing him back and the movie that ends on three scenes about Batman
1: yeah, yeah. and also
2: evil Superman in the second <laughs> to last scene
3: where it's just like they're kind of just shitting on his image again which we're trying to fix in this movie actually mm-hmm. and also yeah it was really hilarious in the final scene because like seeing
1: Ben Affleck just don't give a shit his arms are very thin he also see his new stuff he's like I'm not working out <laughs> you know it takes ages
0: I'm not working out I'm not pretending I care about what's happening on screen
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the funny thing like if you look at all the versions of Justice League that you know when they first shot it Ben was in
1: shape he was huge wasn't he
2: when they did the reshoots in 2017 he was significantly bigger and you could
1: tell you can tell he can barely move in that bat suit to be honest yeah there's a bit in the film where he kicks one of the uh, minions whatever doing that sort of battle and it's the slowest kick ever
2: yeah yeah I've seen that it's like
1: trying to kick him yeah it's, it's always been a common thing isn't it for the Batman films that the actors cannot move in the suits I think only Christian Bale has seen the novelty
2: and that's I, I like that Dark Knight suit because they made it so that he could really be agile he can
3: move he could move his neck
2: they address <laughs> it in the film and it really works I love that they made the subtext text in that regard
3: I actually think in Batman v Superman in that warehouse a takedown sequence I think they did a good job of yeah. him being able
2: to move and taking out all of these guys to be fair that is 99% doubles but that's, that's
0: expected oh, God, oh, sure. yeah, they can move in
1: the suit yeah but Ben Affleck he's like he's really restrained in that suit he's just like so stiff he's just like oh trying to walk around in it it's probably not fun for him to play
2: you look at Man of Steel and that was a movie about Snyder really having so much fun realizing Superman mm. the way he visualizes Superman is amazing in that film and then for Batman to be Superman it's like he kind of forgot about Superman and went all in on just finding cool ways to present Batman yeah and going to this movie it's like he forgot about both of those two characters and now he's all in on like Wonder Woman and then the Flash and Cyborg. It's
3: really hilarious how sidelined Batman is during the climax. Like, he barely does yeah.
1: anything. <laughs> yeah. He's trying to play catch up. He's like, oh, guys, he's just out of breath. You
0: know? let <laughs> well, be honest, if you were Batman, as he says, his superpower is being rich. He's just a normal, average human being. What is he going to do about an alien invasion? I don't know. It's that final
1: pose shot, isn't it, where Superman has to pull him up. You know, everyone's already yeah. waiting for him. He's like, oh, wait for me, guys. You know, wait for
2: me. It's really quite telling, yeah. <laughs> I did like the one action scene, with, like the middle central action scene where it's like Wonder Woman's taking on Steppenwolf the Flash, taking on the same people. Batman's taking on one parademon and like he gets his grappling hook knocked out. I like that little bit of like he has to struggle to fight one of them.
3: It reminded me of the sequence in Iron Man 2 where Jon Favreau and Black Widow are infiltrating yeah. like the, the, right. the bad guy layer.
2: <laughs> That's exactly what it is.
3: And then he's like, I got one. Like he punched one of them and she had taken out like a dozen guys or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> That's yeah. Right.
1: We just shows you that, you know, Batman he's human you know Mm. he can't compete with these guys and it sort of falls in trap and sort of like Superman is kind of why does Superman need a Justice League That's what Jerry Seinfeld said he's Superman
0: he doesn't need (laughs) these people you know I just wanted to go back to the Martian Manhunter thing for a second because I wanted to talk about the Lois and Martha scene which is a really great scene in the Snyder version until directly after where it reveals oh Martha is actually Martian Manhunter in disguise and you just go what the why
1: yeah because it shows that like Martha didn't give a shit then She didn't want to come and
0: talk talk to her. It's bizarre because there is sort of this through line of Martha traveling to Metropolis from the Kent farm. Yeah. Then it gets to that scene, you go, have we been following Martian Manhunter driving a car to Metropolis? What is going Mm. on?
2: Was Martian Manhunter the one who was kidnapped in Batman v Superman? Because that'd be hilarious.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Then Martian Manhunter turns into the general from Man of Steel and Batman v Superman and it's just go, what, what? Yeah.
2: So that's who he's supposed to be the whole time. That yeah. general has supposed to have been Martian Manhunter. Yeah,
0: but that's just a revelation that's like, okay, that doesn't really add anything. I and mean, it just makes things more bewildering. If that was the case, why didn't you do more, mate? You're Martian Manhunter. You could have done more than just stand around as a general.
3: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that just recontextualizes everything in a way that makes zero sense. Yeah. yeah. So
0: when Martha appears eventually in the cornfield, you go, is it Martha? Is it, is it <laughs> <laughs> again? Like, it's unnecessary, doesn't need to be there. Easy cut right there.
2: Easiest cut in the movie. though that in the Joker scene.
0: I want to briefly mention here, one of the things that really caught my attention while I was re-watching the Whedon cut was not just the allegations of misconduct and racism that Fisher has claimed, but also, of course, all the stuff that's come up about Whedon with, with women on Buffy and everything, and yeah. the way that the actual version treats women is appalling! The thirsty line? Oh. Yeah, Martha saying the thirstiest reports made me want to gag. Oh, that, <laughs> yeah. that must yeah. That- <laughs> If that was really wrong Ugh, Jesus the cupping from the flash of Wonder Woman yeah
2: and that was uh, in Age of Ultron too like yeah. get new material dude
0: the bit where Aquaman fawns over Wonder Woman really kind of in a slobbering kind of way which gets an even worse dimension when you read the extracts of Joss Whedon's Wonder Woman script oh, yeah
1: <laughs> there's one scene in Zack's version where you sort of see like Wonder Woman and Bruce sort of trying to reach for the mouse and they're like oh oh sorry trying to no they sort of apologise I thought there might been some setup there to have some sort of flirting nature to it but they don't go anywhere with it do they
2: one of the things that was cut that Snyder wanted to have in his original Justice League two-parter that was cut before he shot it was that Bruce Wayne and Lois Lane would be in a romance yeah god. oh Jesus no thank god that didn't happen
1: Superman would have been pissed when he came back really angry <laughs>
3: yeah that bit with a mouse actually was kind of like a cute human moment like something that would happen naturally yeah yeah, that's what I thought and also like funny thing is because in this cut it's kind of like the flesh fawning over Wonder Woman a bit where it's like mm. my you, you think she might be into younger guys and and I like the line I'm
2: like everyone's a younger guy I like that yeah everyone's like a younger guy she's like a thousand years old or something
1: now you mentioned the Flash it's like because he's also he said a few times he loves Superman he's a big idol in the Weedon cut that you have that great moment at the end where they have a race where they're clearly mm. shot in the fucking field at Leavesden <laughs> yeah but it's like that's a moment which I think kind of worked because Superman yeah. and Flash do have a race in the comics and so forth so they don't have that payoff in this version where the Flash gets to talk it's to like, Superman it's like one
2: as a setup one is a payoff of the two cuts down for a while.
0: Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's the culmination of another thing about the theatrical version where it has these kind of cheap fan-pleasing moments but I think that the Snyder Cut has its own cheap fan-pleasing moments. They're just different fan-pleasing moments. Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's a different kind of fan service. One of the other things in the Weedon cut that thank God was gone was like on top of all this bad stuff with Wonder Woman. That movie just like framed her ass so often it was bizarre. It was just (laughs) hugging it. But the funny thing
3: is most of those shots are still in here. They're just cross out because of the
2: format. No, they wouldn't be cropped out. They would
1: have been um... expanded out.
2: Yeah, actually expanded out. So we want to talk about the aspect ratio
1: at all? He became obsessed with IMAX doing the sort of post production of Batman vs. Superman, but he didn't shoot Justice League on IMAX. Oh yeah it was all film? Yeah it was all films all films. So he was kind of seeing the whole frame but you know it's a thing James Cameron kind of famously used a lot. I mean loads of filter shots on Super 35 because it's easier for CGI to be implemented. Doing anamorphically is a bit more difficult. Nolan shoots anamorphically that's why they look great in 4K Super 35, you know when you sort of crop it for widescreen you end up with more grain he wanted the vertical height to sort of fill the imax format it's a shame he didn't shoot on imax because the footage would look even better
2: certain scenes were shot in imax but obviously not the whole thing
1: yeah and the thing is like most people won't see it in like the
3: imax format because of the current state mm. and also that this is made for streaming the thing with the whole format because when, when i heard about this i was like this was obviously not the original plan this is something that snyder commanded because he had more control over this one now it mm. It reeks of this fake pretentiousness of this format like those very very important artist films are shot in this kind of format (laughs) my film this big magnum opus this is gonna have this format as well this is the stuff i think that's really the reason
0: it is worth noting just to interject that batman v superman has also now been re-released in fall (laughs) three yeah yeah yeah.
1: it's continuity though man of steel batman v superman all two three five to one aspect ratio then they go to full frame or 185 to 1 theatrically for the film to me at the time I just thought oh they're just copying Avengers because Avengers did the exact same thing yeah oh yeah the other film was in scope then this is in flat
2: if you look at Justice League most of it is shot the the standard cut with a lot of headroom and that gives you the inclination Mm -hmm. like when you shoot for IMAX you have people so close to the screen that you can't fill the entire screen with important information you look at Nolan you look at what Brad Bird did with Mission Impossible like any filmmakers done IMAX all the important information is on the horizon is close to the center of the frame Mm -hmm. and tops and bottoms of the frame, because people are so damn close to this giant screen, is mostly with peripheral, expanded viewpoint. That's the main purpose of IMAX, is to have this screen that fills up your entire viewpoint. But when it does that, you can't look at everything. Mm. So they're more there for the immersion, not for that important visual information. But even most of the Snyder Cut is framed that way. So you could easily crop in for 90% of these shots, and not lose their essence. This movie was clearly shot with the intention that it would be shown in IMAX in 4.3 for the entire duration. But if you saw it in, like, a regular theater, it would probably be in 185 to one, and same thing for home release
1: yeah it still would have been cropped slightly for IMAX because IMAX isn't exactly one three three. It's, I think it's like one three seven or something like that
0: it's one four three, I think well especially if you're watching it in a fake IMAX yeah. screen because yeah. a lot of IMAX screens aren't actually 4.3 I can tell you that now the IMAX, isn't it yeah no for sure <laughs>
1: like the proper IMAX
3: the funny thing is because like filmmakers like Nolan and David Lynch and I think also like Zack Snyder they're really vocal about the cinematic experience yeah you're supposed to watch these movies on the big screen in the theater, and funny enough, whether he realizes it or not, during this four by three version, Snyder accidentally made like the, the perfect version to watch on your phone. <laughs> I know. It, it, it start
1: a new hashtag, so like bring back pan and scan, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> what was wrong with you?
0: <laughs> Ironically, it wouldn't be very good on my phone because my phone is very narrow, so it's actually got a twenty one by <laughs> nine aspect ratio. So actually, my phone is more suited for the original version of Batman v Superman. <laughs>
3: It's so obvious, like when they pan out for the big hero shot, it takes so
1: long until you finally see all of them on screen at the same time. It's these films shot on Super 35 and Justice League is, but they crop it because of artistic reasons to make it look you know, more cinematic.
3: Yeah, it, it was kind of off-putting. And from the very start, I was like, oh no, I, I kind of got used to it after a while. I mean, I didn't really realize it because there was enough other stuff I had to pay attention to, but it doesn't really look cinematic. This is fine for something like The Lighthouse, which is supposed to have this uh, claustrophobic
1: feeling. Mm, that works that works wonderfully doesn't it
3: but uh, for this big CGI filled crowd pleasing blockbuster this is supposed to be the format really does it a disservice I think
1: I don't think it lends itself to it that well yeah I was surprised by the huge amount of CGI when there's no miniatures or anything like that not much in camera stuff it's very CG heavy but they've done a good job with restoring scenes because Steppenwolf looks brilliant throughout I think the only thing i you know we sort of touched upon in looking bad is Martian Manhunter everything else kind of looked pretty good the Nightmare sequence you know Cyborg looks a bit not as crisp as he should
0: I think Cyborg's a bit wobbly but he was a bit wobbly mm. in the previous version one of the other things that I don't think this cut improves the climax of the movie still feels like a big CG smash em up and it's all dark as well isn't it yeah you know that's very common to a lot of superhero movies mm. I think it's exacerbated by the fact that it's obviously CGI sets and everything it doesn't feel like a real tangible place that they're actually in of course that was the same in the other version yeah. albeit with an expanded problem of the cut grade, and you can sort of see where Warner Brothers was coming from with the studio notes. Of, Maybe we should add some people here to add some legitimate human threat in. Yeah, not the way they did <laughs> the Weeden inserts of the family that are just absolutely terrible and charring. Like, why are people living here? It makes no sense. But you know, you can kind of see the thought behind it
1: because if the actual cut had a major problem of the, of the world feeling so empty, mm. you know, because yeah. see you know you're commenting on throwing in this extra family they have to save. It's a nice little touch, I suppose, with Superman kind of lifting the entire building. The save everyone yeah. in this version I didn't get a sense that the world felt empty
3: no I actually did mm. aside from the flash introduction scene where we actually have to deal with normal people yeah everything else it mostly just contains the main characters like aside from of course like the Amazonian
1: scenes that is true yeah but it felt less empty to me it felt less empty this time around just a tiny bit they established like the relationship between Lois and the cop Yeah, I liked that Mark McClure it's Jimmy Olsen from the original films which was quite cool oh, the,
2: oh I, really? I didn't know that oh. a hidden cameo that's nice okay that's cool yeah 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 the Jimmy Olsen in this universe just got shot in the face at Night <laughs> <laughs> <Enemy Superman>.
3: <laughs> <laughs> that's totally nice but um, I didn't get the feeling of like because the, the climax now that you have removed the human element which was added clunkily for sure in the Whedon version sure, yeah. now it just feels so disconnected from everything hmm. I actually think in these kind of superhero movies you kind of need that, that human element of like people needing being saved like in the Raimi Spider-Man films and stuff
1: like that. They, they could have deployed more sort of news coverage and things like that that's why they often used that as a yeah. quick way to sort of expand things it's a bit contrived but it would have worked to be fair Batman v Superman
2: did that the worst possible way of <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I still hate that like oh my god you don't do that ever again
0: it's totally empty <laughs> it's like Dragon Ball Z style it, I can see their parachutes they're okay
1: yeah. <laughs> everyone's been teleported to safety <laughs> but that's an interesting thing as well because the ending of Batman Superman with him dying the whole film made a point that the people were very kind of split on Superman and a lot of people didn't like him they were scared of him and then once he was dead they're like oh my god he's dead I kind of felt like
2: it was the Michael Jackson effect of once they're dead people actually oh yeah they kind of were interested like- yeah perhaps
1: yeah perhaps that was the kind of problem
2: yeah no for sure
1: Superman should have died like three or four films down the road where you've got that emotional punch right at the mm-hmm. end when he dies you think oh my god but I didn't care anything I was so angry when he, when he died in Batman vs Superman because it was so undeserved yeah it was so abrupt yeah so undeserved it was extremely undeserved
3: and also which batman's motivation still doesn't make much sense <laughs> yeah in the weeden version it's also kind of weird how they established oh now the world is shitty because superman is gone where no no he didn't really help matters much <laughs> no he didn't it was shitty beforehand too he didn't really do all that much to make the world a better place it was still kind of awful and in this one it's still like now we have to assemble a team it, it's it still kind of comes out of nowhere
1: yeah it's still like a very weak excuse to kickstart it, I think.
2: One of my biggest issues with Man of Steel back in the day was that, like, those aliens would not have come unless Superman instigated them. It's this weird, like, thing with Man of Steel. Like, Mm. they would have never come to Earth unless Superman was exploring the ships. (laughs) It's a self-fulfilling <laughs> prophecy.
0: Yeah. It's worth talking about the two very different conceptions of Superman in the two cuts. I feel like Henry Cavill was actually kind of wasted across these three films. I oh, feel yeah. like in Man of Steel, he shows a lot of promise as as Superman. He's
2: been amazing throughout this entire series. I've never had an issue with his performance.
0: I feel like he's a good Superman in movies that don't really have much purpose for Superman. It's telling that in the theatrical cut of Batman v Superman, they cut out most of his scenes and dialogue, and so he has, and he has what about 23 lines yeah. in a two and a half hour movie or so
2: where he's the title character yeah yeah
0: oh yeah i remember that in justice League, i would argue that he has almost about a similar amount of screen time as he does in batman v superman yeah true but when he revives he still doesn't speak very much the snyder's conception of superman is very solemn very much weighted down by his responsibility to the world and there is an interesting take on that i feel like some people take criticism of snyder's superman as oh you want the sort or classic golden era Superman you want the Christopher Reeve Superman I go not necessarily there is an argument to be said for a Superman that reflects a modern conflicted world I don't think that Snyder executes it very well because this Superman is so internalized and so cut off from the rest of the world it feels like he doesn't want to save the world oh, yeah. it feels often quite begrudging and if nothing else about those reshoots even though it's a betrayal of Snyder's intent yeah. there is still more of that classic feeling of Superman and it gave Cavill something to do I feel yeah. like it gave Cavill a chance to actually be Superman in a way that he was not allowed to in the Snyder version of Justice League and the movie before it I
1: think with Superman it's like the more you sort of deviate away from the classic architecture of him it no longer become Superman mm. that's the thing Batman can be interpreted in many different ways and it's actually done quite successfully he can be campy he can be dark he can be kind of all various degrees of things but Superman the once you take a few elements away to sort of interpret him in, in a different version. It doesn't feel like Superman.
0: It's often been said that Snyder's dark take on superheroes is very much influenced by Watchmen, which is certainly a thing that I can see because I would argue that his Superman is basically a reskinned Dr. Manhattan. Oh, yeah,
1: he's Batman's Night Owl. As soon as he wears those goggles, yeah. I was like, that's fucking Night Owl. <laughs> <laughs> with Rorschach's prejudice. The funny thing is when I watched that
3: nightmare scene in Batman v Superman and you see like Batman like with the gargoyles and a trench coat and I was like, this looks like Kevin Smith dressed as Batman and more rats. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Why is he wearing the mask? He doesn't need to wear it anymore. You know, he's just got a gun. He's fine. <laughs> you
3: know. I think the problem with some of these DC heroes and Superman in particular is that they are so iconic mm. that they kind of are a victim to their own success and recognizability in a way where yeah. it's like everybody knows who these characters are and how they are supposed to act in a certain way at least, and so of course dividing from that kind of becomes alienating to some people of course you can make some changes you could make maybe some improvements also but I think that's something the MCU was always lucky about because they dealt with heroes which hadn't been depicted all that much in the past like I mean they start no. with Iron Man a character nobody gave a damn about basically from the start like he was like a side character in that universe and they just established him as they pleased and nobody really had an issue with it because he was barely known in the common. World with these DC movies because they are so pre established and you have seen so many versions of them, which were roughly the same. It's difficult when you have something that's that different. Yeah, it's true, very
2: true. They went for deconstruction before they even laid out the foundation to deconstruct.
0: Him. Yeah, yeah. One yeah. of well, my issues with Snyder's conception of it is that for something that's supposed to set up a cinematic universe, it feels like it's already at the end game. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You set up Batman as being burnt out, he's lost Robin and everything, and you go, well, where is to go you've established him at his most fascist vigilante like where is the character gonna go from there
1: yeah that's been his problem
0: that's absolutely true I mean you can't do that as like this
3: kind of like surprise element basically because like I said we have seen so many other Batman movies so seeing him in this different interpretation but also at his low point in this state it could work in some points it even does work in Batman v Superman but not all the way through but yeah you're totally right like there's nowhere to go but up from here mm. and It still like has changed to now I am a team working man and now I have to bring the Justice League together and it still comes out of nowhere and doesn't really fit we haven't talked about the best character in this movie and that's Alfred oh yeah
0: (laughs) I don't know if he's the best character in this movie but I did enjoy Jeremy Irons as Alfred he's good value
1: he's so good in this movie he's so good he gets you know a lot more screen time which is great even though he makes a cup of tea wrong (laughs) you know he puts the hot water in first I was like no you don't do that (laughs) Yeah, good to see that dynamic again and more scenes with Bruce and Alfred just sort of disagreeing or just sort of not seeing eye to eye completely was a nice moment yeah. and sort of this gives more Bruce screen time to sort of dwell on his thoughts or to sort of try and compute everything and not just be like Batman and being growly. I, I'm not a big fan of the sort of growly voice they use in this version.
0: Yeah, it's very processed.
1: Yeah, I, I just like him when he's talking normally so I think that kind of works in its favour.
2: Because it's a weird thing because like obviously the worst voice for Batman has been the Dark Knight ones. I love those movies but whatever the hell Nolan and Christian. <laughs> it was not working and so when they first did Batman v Superman and he had that voice modulator I thought it was really cool but it almost like it took away a lot of what Ben Affleck was adding to the role like you could tell he was making a joke or saying something interesting but the voice would just drop it of that sort of punctuation
1: yeah definitely
2: so like in this movie it was a bit overused it's one of those things of like the verisimilitude of this universe where it's like it doesn't make sense that Clark Kent just puts glasses on and is able to not get recognized but you can't just buy it for the sake of the world and I think in this case, just have him sound like Ben Affleck. I I don't think there's
0: any problem. Yeah, have him sound like a normal person as opposed to a computer trying to turn someone's voice into gravel. I think that would help a lot. (laughs) Oh, totally. Let's talk about Cyborg, because we've been putting off so long. Because he was the best star for the movie. Easily. Ray Fisher has obviously been the most vocal about wanting to get the Snyder cut out, because obviously he was discriminated against by Joss Whedon. Mm. And believe me, comparing the two cuts, that is extremely borne out. It's pretty clear that Whedon gutted his his role in the theatrical version and undermined him at virtually every turn and turned him into a stereotypical black sidekick at times. Even saying things like "booyah" in inserts mm. or the bit where he goes, "I can't feel my toes." Like, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh.
2: doesn't make any sense.
0: Yeah, yeah. The most substantial changes are to do with Cyborg, who finally gets a proper backstory and establishment. I still feel like it's a bit rushed in this version. Mm-hmm. Like they establish that he's the football champion and then he has that conversation with his mum in the car and then immediately after she says the line of something like you have a bright future ahead of you car crash yeah that's a bit on the nose
2: it also bugs me when it's like characters in a car the mother's at fault because she's looking at her son when she's at the wheel when no your eyes are supposed to be forward (laughs) so your peripheral vision's working I'm sorry she's responsible for that car accident (laughs) she should have seen that freaking car coming it bugs the crap out of me in movies when people are not driving
1: responsibly
0: it always bugs me when you get the immediate side angle of someone sat in a car because you know that someone's going to crash into the and <laughs> t oh yeah yeah
1: but it was a good moment with him you know crying and she you know she sort of turns his head I thought it was a great moment they also yeah, it's kind yeah. of away with a car crash yeah yeah it is kind of a bit horrific when he's sort of seeing him oh, strapped yeah. to the thing and he's just got his torso there that's it yeah but I think how it plays into his relationship with his father was really a sort of motivating point for his character and it's definitely the strongest emotional core to the movie that is for me
0: oh yeah Joe Morton's fantastic in this film, I detected a lot of homages to Terminator 2 here. <laughs> oh, yes. Another movie that had multiple edits. So, Joe Morton is essentially just playing Miles Dyson again here. Pretty much. Yeah, 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 I don't have a problem with that, because no. Joe Morton's great.
2: And he dies in this version, which he did not in the theatrical.
0: Cut. Yeah, that's a big change. Again, this is one of the things that Whedon inexplicably gutted, because there's so much key exposition in this subplot. In the theatrical version, I don't think it's even clear where the mother box is. They cut so much out. Oh,
2: oh, we left it in the car and Steppenwolf came and got it. We don't even see Steppenwolf. That's an embarrassing moment.
0: Yeah, well, even before that point, I think they barely even established that Cyborg's got it, whereas it's clearly like laid out right from the start here that Cyborg's got that. Oh, was it not in the apartment in the theatrical cut? It is, but it's only very vaguely alluded to. And then Cyborg has that weird bit in the harbor where he dives out to go and grab it. Right, yeah. And in the theatrical version, you go, why is he doing that? And in the Snyder Cut, it's because he's chosen to bury it at his mother's that's grave in one of those editions that again made me go wait what yeah <laughs> in a movie that already has them digging up superman's grave i go why do we need more grave digging <laughs> go,
2: it's all a metaphor it's all a metaphor
0: yeah and also
3: also Sny- snyder has an obsession with funerals and graves in his movies
0: mm. it's strange probably would have left that out of the theatrical version it's not really a plot point that goes anywhere but it's strange because in the theatrical version of justice league all the stuff at star labs is virtually deleted and so that's so, like the plot doesn't make any sense in the theatrical version Steppenwolf is just abducting random people to find the mother box and you go why? and then uh, Snyder Cut it's because they work at Star Labs where, where the box was
1: yeah because it's all about the, the Demons. whatever they can sort of smell the mother boxes on these people
0: yeah the parademons can smell that yeah
1: but also with Cyborg you know we are shown how powerful he is Also it goes in this sort of this other world isn't it into his mind where he's kind of mm. got his legs he, and um, he's in his kind of football jacket a sort of mind palette yeah 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 And he you know, gives that lady That money That was the best scene In the movie That was really good I love that moment
3: I would have liked That scene a little bit more If he didn't look so sinister <laughs> <laughs> Have the money I got the intent Which was yeah. nice But we should have Showed like a little bit more Like showing like A few more people He helped in that way mm. What I really had a problem with Concerning his origin Was that just his fa- Basically the point Of his father Was like I- I'm gonna bring you Back to life And I'm gonna turn you Into this like Supercomputer With this huge amount of responsibility and power yeah and power which could be
0: totally used the wrong way yeah Joe Mawson's scientist is probably the most amoral scientist in the history of the planet here is this incredible godlike power don't abuse it son (laughs) (laughs) it's a little it's a little bit too much
2: I think that's why the cyborg stuff so interesting is that his character who Mm. did not want this power is thrust into it and resents his father for that he's like in his opinion he'd rather died in an accident but then to connect again with his father only for him to sacrifice his life like this is like origin story stuff that works so well i like the idea of having this great origin story within this bigger team movie yeah it reminds me a lot of like the hulk stuff in avengers it's for the most part
3: pretty well integrated like as good as they could basically
0: i do think the mind palace stuff occasionally gets a little bit goofy in that introduction scene where they visualize the metaphor of wall street yeah that was
2: funny that was funny. <laughs>
0: that was really goofy
2: that was so stupid
3: and also the way they described how the mother box basically got where it is now and then it just very very briefly yeah 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 and then the nazis discovered it, and i was like Wait, what yeah like, why do we
2: need nazis <laughs> is this an Indiana jones movie we completely missed yeah. or something Indiana jones and the mother box of doomsday
3: which is really hilarious because the flashback with the mother boxes and then like the atlanteans and the amazonians and then the humans each of them have one the humans basically they just <laughs> dig a hole that's not even like two meters deep and they just put it in there with no guards and i was like this might be actually a reshoot but no it's actually also in this one it's
2: just it's so comical (laughs) and yet that's the one that never gets found i thought that was hilarious yeah until the nazis dig it up i guess
0: (laughs) (laughs) i think that while initially the mind palace stuff registers goofy it does have some real emotional resonance particularly in the climax of the movie where a lot of it is internalized in cyborg's head the sequence where cyborg's father dies he sacrifices his life is so much better than the theatrical version those storylines are intersecting around superman's revival because in the theatrical version it's cut down so choppily you have lois arriving there in the snyder cut who just happens to be there in the theatrical version it's recontextualized that yeah brought her yeah i remembered that she's bruce's secret weapon yeah which again turns it into a prop that's a lame payoff though that was a lame scene in the theatrical it reduces her agency
2: i actually liked it more because it was happening at the superman memorial so it makes complete sense that Lois would be there. They established it well, this one.
0: And then, of course, you've got the Star Labs employees who are all cut out with the theatrical version. That's another side of the plot that needed to be there as key relevant information. In the theatrical version, it's reduced into a nonsense where it just lands on a police car and everyone forgets about it, and to some extent, still happens in the Snyder Cut, but at least there's a whole set of characters that saw that happen, and then it motivates him to grab the box.
2: And they pay off the laser thing they were doing, and yeah, that was, was really
0: well done. Again, setup. up payoff uh... coherent storytelling
2: what (laughs) that's
3: what happens when you have like a bunch of studio executives sitting there like you have to cut this down to two hours be ruthless go and this is the result
0: the stuff with cyborg is easily the heart of the movie I don't know if the movie has much of a coherent theme but I would argue that it eventually manages to find one about three hours into it (laughs) with uh, cyborg's plot line again nodding back to Terminator 2 the future is not set
2: yeah with uh, Flash in that
0: cyborg learns to embrace who he is not who he was but who he is now and I think that as a broader theme I think that Justice League could be argued as being the ability to atone for past mistakes to not be defined by our faults in the past and I think that that does come across and there's certainly an added poignancy because the literal existence of this cut is an example of that. It's his resurrection like it's very literal. And doing it back over it. you know Justice League in both versions of the world- where not even death cannot be undone. There is definitely something quite emotional about that that gives this cut a lot of heft. But I think you also, to some extent, see that in Barry's contribution to the climax, where, again, for all the people that claim that Snyder is going against the traditional Superman mythos, well, what does he end his movie on?
2: Rewinding time, yeah. A
0: big homage (laughs) to Superman the movie. (laughs) You
2: know, I think this climax still has a few issues, but that five minute section or so of Flash rewinding time leading to Cyborg taking apart the boxes is some of the best filmmaking of Snyder's entire career. That stuff was powerful. It was the best sort of action of action serving the characters. The way they visualized Flash rewinding time was so unbelievably cool and got me.
1: Yeah, it worked. Great cosmic as well. Man of Steel was very sort of trying to ground itself in some sort of reality with its filmmaking yeah. by Justice League who's embracing the comic book stuff that we all kind of want to see
0: and there are big stakes here as well because all the Justice League members die apart from the Flash yeah. <laughs> you can see all their like skeletons reconstructing yeah. so technically Superman dies twice in this movie
3: yeah it's also quite the Watchmen moment and it's also something I think you said when you like Transformers 2 review where it's like a-, a fangasm moment of a different kind where you're just like yeah. you-, you see the hero's face Ailing, but not with much consequence.
0: I think that ultimately this is a superior version to the movie that we got. I don't think it's a perfect one by any stretch. And I think that some of the issues that I had with the original version of it, they aren't going away. Those were things that were pre-baked in. However, I do think that this is a far better movie than Batman v Superman. And honestly, if they went through with this cut, I think it probably would have been more successful, hmm. honestly, in terms of reception.
2: Well, I think a potential build- million dollar hit if they got this thing down to three hours like it could have been a like a massive success
0: I don't know if I would go that far because the thing about Batman v Superman I think a lot of people felt burnt by that movie yeah so I think that whatever happened Justice League was going to feel that impact in some way but I think that a better movie overall would have caught word of mouth
1: I think by that point Batman v Superman divided audiences and people that loved Snyder's vision Mm -hmm. would have all poured in to see Justice League and it would have made maybe kind of the same amount of money or maybe a little bit more
2: yeah, sure. Yeah, maybe, like, on par with Batman v Superman. Yeah, yeah. But, like, also, with these superhero movies, like, even with DC, like, Aquaman made $1.1 $1. $1 mm. Wonder Woman was a massive success. It's clear that if you make a big, crowd-pleasing movie, audiences show up. Yeah, yeah. I think this movie, like, I like this more than Aquaman, that's for sure.
1: Oh, I was never a fan of Aquaman, and I didn't like it when it came out. People were like, what? It's amazing! <laughs> I love the visuals of Aquaman and the action scenes. A few months later, people were like, it is a bit of a shit movie. Probably. <laughs> you know, uh, I liked Wonder Woman 84, and everyone went ape shit. I did not like Wonder Woman 84 no it's was not there's problems with it but I saw it on a big screen and it kind of worked and I think there is that argument you know a film can work sometimes work better on a big screen mm. than experiencing it on the small screen for and sure. I think Wonder Woman played into that for me it was quite a good experience on a large screen but everyone who obviously saw it in mass numbers was on HBO Max or whatever
3: the thing is with these two cuts you can't blame Snyder all the way through and you can't blame Reading.
2: you can't blame Kevin Tsujihara, though. yeah <laughs>
3: who you have to blame is of Bros themselves Mm. were just like spineless, contradicting their choices and not knowing what to do. Yeah. Acting very, very cowardly. I actually think because the early rumors of like the the four hour work print or five hour work print, whatever of Justice League they had, they called it a disaster. But this is basically the work print is basically what we got here, just with finish effects. And it's not really a disaster. No, no, no. No, no. no.
0: There's a workable movie in here. It needs refinement, but there's a workable movie.
3: Yeah, that's the thing. You need editors to bring in and kind of structured in a way and they could have done it with the existing material which is really really weird why they just blew another hundred million dollars or something for those reshoots which were for the most part really really useless Yeah, it strikes me as cowardly studio executives who don't know what they want except the things which worked and they were like okay now we have this guy make Avengers again because that's what worked and then you have like this Frankenstein's monster of a thing which doesn't please anybody really (laughs) I'm really bewildered by how this Got so out of hand and caused so much bad blood, bad press, and years of toxic fandom. That's another thing I want to say. This cut this wouldn't exist without the pandemic, I think. No, no, no. This was a case of everything shut down, all of the productions shut down, and then pretty fast after like the pandemic broke out. It was
2: like April so.
3: Warner Brothers, I think, must have said, Hey, we have basically this work print sitting on our shelves. Now we have a chance to finish it, and it won't cost that much money comparatively.
1: And Without the pandemic I'm pretty convinced this still would sit on a shelf Roughly around that same time They were saying Oh we found this longer cut Of Batman Forever Yeah There was this kind of In their eyes Oh we can just go to the archive And just re-release stuff Yeah To me as a film fan Fuck yeah great I'd watch it I'd love to see that I want to see that Yeah But yeah I, I think You kind of summed it up nicely really It's just a studio Just in chaos And you've got people in power Who aren't filmmakers But just money men And that's what they saw
2: And a lot of them are gone now Like a lot of the people That made those decisions
1: They've been booted yeah
2: Just like we with Batman and Robin. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you commissioned this? It's like... <laughs> <laughs> a lot of visual effects studios apparently were on the brink of going bankrupt with, you know, pandemic and that. And at this movie, for a lot of them, was like the sole reason they were able to keep afloat. That's great. Yeah, that's like the power of filmmaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also
3: in the last couple of years, streaming really got out of hand in a way how it evolved in terms of content. Now it's really dominant in how we watch and
2: consume media. Disney Plus was a real turning point
3: oh yeah yeah and i think that is also one of the reasons why they released the film in this four hour version because but also wouldn't have been
2: possible back then in 2017 it's not far off from the six hour runtime of mandalorian like any season mm. of that show
3: the initial plans of them were like we are releasing it in four chunks over several weeks mm. that might have worked as well maybe i'm not quite sure
2: i think they were smart to do it the way they did it yeah
3: the way they divided it into chapters and it's kind of meant that way to maybe pause it every now and then visa. are the the chapter marks basically but yeah this is really a result of both the pandemic and the evolution of streaming Mm. coming together and making it possible that this version even exists and it wasn't the toxic fan base which wished it into existence it was those circumstances but the toxic fan
2: base thinks that they have won with this that's the part (laughs) that irks me about this the most one final point i have i thought was so interesting about this trilogy is if you look at it spaced out over eight years it kind of charts the whole evolution of big budget filming (laughs) that like man of steel 2013 clearly a dark knight inspired narrative or batman begins if it were but of that nolan era Mm -hmm. and then you get to batman v superman and that's very much dc trying to catch up to marvel doing the civil war in the same year as civil war Mm. embracing but not to that full success that cinematic universe sort of storytelling and then this is like an off-canon sort of streaming event and it's how it's like if you look at these three movies you can chart the evolution of where we've gone in the past eight years Mm. and just how much things have changed.
0: I feel like we kind of got the... Best outcome, possibly, out of all this, because I don't know how things would have fared had we continued down this road of the Snyder stuff, kind of building up to things like Injustice and things like that. I don't know if audiences genuinely would have been on board with something like that. And I think that DC now is far more interesting because they're doing solo films that aren't necessarily tied to a big game plan in the way that Marvel does. Yes. They've set themselves apart in that way.
2: A loose cannon, which I think is a like- a very smart choice
0: yeah i really i really like that if this kind of trilogy hadn't i guess for lack of a better term failed or underperformed you wouldn't have movies like joker now i'm not saying that i'm a fan of joker but
2: a lot of people love that
0: movie you know you wouldn't have got a movie like that that made that kind of independent risk unless you had these kind of circumstances or like birds of prey exactly the very individualistic films Shazam. rather than trying to force them into a template yeah i actually really like it because whenever a studio
3: tries to do what the mcu is doing they fail i mean i don't have to point at universal and their attempt with dark universe
1: (laughs) oh i still love that tweet oh that's embarrassing wasn't it such an
3: embarrassing joke but (laughs) how they're doing it now and i don't know if they are now actually set with that plan continuing it with like these just loosely connected movies just doing whatever they want with certain characters or properties if they continue with this i would be totally fine because that would be a unique approach basically just like here's another interpretation of a joker here's another interpretation of batman this is like a loose Harley Quinn sequel maybe I don't know have it you know and, and I'm like okay no this is perfectly fine not everything has to be connected it's trail mix you know you just pick the ones you like exactly. yeah exactly. yeah it's really easy because now you don't have to pretend oh this is not canon this is not my whatever you don't have to do that anymore
2: <laughs> fans take that stuff way too seriously
3: yeah. it's like it's yes. all
2: made up they're gonna do the Spider-Man movie where like they're gonna have the three different Spider-Man and it. it doesn't matter because it's all nonsense anyway.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I suppose to sort of sum up my thoughts really it's like yeah I think we've all sort of pointed out the sort of pros and cons but it is a movie that totally surprised me and I I'll definitely will watch it again it's, I think it will be one of those like Lord of the Rings I watch every year the extended versions and Justice League may sort of fit into that it's not something I can rush back to you know watching like in another month or two mm. but I think as a yearly thing or every couple of years it's something I would happily sit through again where the theatrical cut I was like no I'm <laughs> not going to bother watching that again even Batman vs Superman I can't be bothered to watch again no, I thought I to know. myself Maybe Maybe I should prep myself and re-watch these movies, you know, before Justice League. But I thought, nah, nah, I'm just going to just rely on my memory to sort of get myself through this.
0: I will say that in hindsight, because Batman v Superman put so much of the framework in place, mm. Batman v Superman is very much despair, whereas this is kind of a redemptive hope. Yeah. I feel like they kind of go together in that way. Not to defend Batman v Superman, which I still think <laughs> is one of the most slog-like big-budget studio tent poles in recent memory
2: mm. have a, the same filmmaker be on board and make a sequel to a bad movie I think it's one of the best versions of that mm. like most filmmakers like whether it be a Peter Jackson or George Lucas where they get worse with time I guess this is comparable to like Attack of the Clones does lead into Revenge of the Sith and I like Revenge of the Sith but well, I'm not watching that again <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah that's the same
1: situation I'm in yeah yeah no, 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 I'm not gonna watch that again
3: I'm kind of on the opposite mm. this new cut was basically what I expected sure it's basically you know the same story it's just restructured it has a lot of baggage it's very very bloated and it has a lot mm. of the stuff i just don't enjoy about zack snyder's movies even though it is a little bit lighter in tone even though there were individual moments i liked which were also the case with man of steel and batman v superman there were individual scenes in those yeah. i kind of enjoyed if i had to choose which version i would rewatch, i think like the 2017 cut at least to me it's watchable in this kind of like schlocky way it turns into a cartoon at several points it's so clunky <laughs> with the stuff it's trying to fix and set up yeah a- at least it has a very, very enjoyable score. I could maybe watch that again. I don't think I would watch the Snyder <laughs> Cut again.
0: <laughs> oh, okay, okay. That's, that's interesting. I think it is the length. The length is the problem yeah. that would put people off re-watching it. I think that my answer would be I would watch this again if someone came through and made a fan edit that was two and a half hours to three hours long.
1: Well, that'd be interesting. That'd be interesting if the fans can make something mm-hmm. that's, you know, shorter and it works even better. That'd be pretty incredible to see. I feel
0: like this cut it's an assembly cut yeah yeah, yeah. you can see a movie in here that would work but you've got to tough through it a lot of the time you've got to really Mm. put the effort in to get to that stuff but it's rewarding when you get to it but even when I'm watching this I'm going it would never have been a great movie it would have been a decent one but it wouldn't have been a great one
1: it would have made up for Batman vs Superman put it that way
3: another funny thing I had been thinking about is if this cut or a similar cut to this like maybe like a three hour version of this had come out in 2017 it would have predated Infinity War and Endgame Hmm. it would have come out in a different climate in a way where we hadn't seen this kind of superhero team up payoff yet we only had two Avengers movies but like Infinity War and Endgame really were like those big payoffs and now having seen those movies this film kind of feels redundant in a way feels a lot like Endgame
2: especially yeah
3: it's different characters for sure but it shares like uh, similar things of course I mean you can also only do so much with this type of plot and setup and the superheroes and all of that but I think it would have hit differently if we hadn't seen comparative movies from the MCU
2: at that point. Yeah. like When Infinity War came out, people argued that Marvel finally did Dark and Gritty, just as what like, better than DC, <laughs> and it's almost like that, in a way, like, Marvel beat them to <laughs> that punch.
0: I would argue that those two movies maybe almost primed the pump for this. This movie probably gets a better reception now that we're familiar with that kind of storytelling than we probably would have been back in 2017, arguably.
1: No, I think I agree. Maybe? Yeah. I don't know. If Warner Brothers didn't put all the eggs in one basket straight away, they could- could have continued on with their sort of standalone movies and then once Endgame had finished because obviously it feels like oh all the superhero films have come to an end but Warner Brothers could have still been in the background doing their own thing yeah Yeah. exactly and led up to this big team up movie so they're just trying to get to the finish line so quickly Uh, and that's what's kind of shot themselves in the foot and had to sort of restart again so back to the beginning for you
3: come on (laughs) in some different parallel dimension this is what happened and maybe someday a person from that dimension will cross over And show us uh, what their world looks like now. But they'll be too late. They'll be too
0: early. there will be Flash coming through. <laughs> I'm too <laughs> early! Nicolas Cage is still Superman! <laughs> no. That's, 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 that's <laughs> a universe I'd like to see. Oh god. Amy Adams is the key. Oh, that would be amazing. What I will say is that I hope, for Zack's sake, that finishing this cut has found him some kind of closure in this horrible mess.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: And I hope that it brings a closure to this whole saga to be honest i think that it's been four years now i think we can pretty much close the book on this almost really we've got the cut now we can make the comparisons for ourselves i feel like at this point this chapter's over and it would be probably wise if we moved on to something else now i think so
3: yeah Uh, that would be nice some some fans won't let this go i mean i've already seen like those hashtags restore the Snyderverse, and i'm like no i mean, depends on what happens with this cut financially but I doubt that they will like dig up all of those plans again Mm. and they just continue with whatever they want to do yeah I just hope those people can now happily ever after live with this cut and just leave the rest of us
0: alone (laughs) yeah I feel like this is a tantalizing what if which is what it originated as but even so I think that now that we have something at the end of it we can call it a day and on that note Oliver where can people find you
1: well all you gotta do is put in my name to YouTube Oliver Harper and you'll find
0: my retrospective reviews channel Jonathan where can people find you on YouTube at
2: films and stuff I swear new content's coming <laughs> 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 and uh, on Twitter at JBURD22
3: lastly where can people find you uh, you can find me on Facebook and Twitter at Lasse Vogt my own podcast is called fans about films you can find it on South Cloud at iTunes I co-host it's a 90s Christmas podcast with Lyle Perez and I'm also a part of the German podcast collective where where we discuss all the new releases. And I also have a soundtrack blog, scoregeek.wordpress.com. Also a YouTube channel, The Depthard. I do a lot of stuff online and I hope you check it out. I had a blast being here again.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you. I hope you've all had a blast as well. Uh, you can find me, Filmbrain on YouTube, obviously. You can also find the podcast on all the major platforms. Search the Film Brain podcast. I'm on Twitter at uh, FB underscore BMB. Film Brain Reviews on Facebook. I'm also on Tumblr as uh, I forget now. <laughs> Let me check. I am Filmbrain BMB on Tumblr as well. I have a letterbox page, Film underscore Brain. I am also Filmbrain BMB on Instagram as well because apparently I need to have that. You can find me on Patreon at Patreon.com/slash/Filmbrain. This is getting way too long. What about yellow pages? <laughs> I'm everywhere. I'm everywhere. A cyborg. <laughs> indeed, indeed. And on that note i'm matthew burke fading out take care everyone thank you for listening to the film brain podcast hope you enjoyed it just a reminder that if you want to support my work be it podcasts or youtube videos please go to my patreon at patreon.com slash film where you can experience those episodes early among other perks and just a quick shout out to my patrons tim poppleton g viral henry jacob jonah gustafson harry baker vincent chiang ina civic jake mcnulty colin m cherry is Thelios, Tom Oliver Maddox and remember if you have any feedback about the show over social media please use the hashtag filmbrainpodcast